We're going to take our Bibles at this time and we're going to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts in the New Testament and chapter 17. Uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey and he's uh, gone through several areas. We've been following him. He, uh, he's in the, the region of Macedonia, been preaching there in Thessalonica and in Berea. And now he comes to... Uh, in, into Greece, basically there he's in uh, the city of Athens. And here in the city of Athens, he is going to have an opportunity to preach to some of the religious leaders of the day, not just the Jewish re uh, religious leaders, as he often did, but also those that were of uh, a particular religion. They were philosophers. They were uh, people that were, were filled with lots of knowledge, but not much in the way of the knowledge of the true God. And uh, he's going to preach to them a famous sermon from a place called Mars Hill. And uh, I want to read this with you uh, in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. If you're there and you are able, I'd ask you to stand as we read this portion of Scripture together. Acts 17, beginning in verse 22. The Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. And said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. That word superstitious has to do with their religion and their religious commitments. He says, I perceive that you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also of his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead." And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed, among the which was Dionysus the Oropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, I just want to pray that as we look into this text here in the next few moments, that you would open our eyes and give us understanding of what you would have us to know. As we consider the message that was preached and the message that Paul proclaimed, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about our need 
to know you on a, in a personal way. And then, Lord, as we consider the response to that and how we ought to respond, uh, Lord, would you give us humility and a desire to obey and follow you? And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Everywhere that Paul went in his missionary journeys, you find him starting off trying to engage the people there, often in the synagogues. This was, these were uh, meeting places of Jews as they would come together on the Sabbath day and read the scriptures together. And that was a, a good place for him to start because these were people that had some knowledge of truth and, 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 and knowledge of, of the scriptures and, and maybe had a hunger for spiritual matters. But often you find the religious people kind of pushing him away and then he would go to the non-religious people of the area and proclaim the gospel to them. Well, here Paul finds himself in the city of Athens and, and, and he finds an audience with the people. They're not Jews. They don't know the Old Testament scriptures, but they are religious and they are thinking on spiritual matters. The problem is that their understanding of spiritual matters is very much wrapped up in philosophy. The Greeks were known as philosophers, and, and they were known as people that, that had an interest in intellect and education, and none of those things in and of themselves are wrong, but the motivation was wrong. The Greeks were what is known as, they, they were Gnostics. Their religion was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, uh, it has this idea that the more that you know, the more you become like gods. And so you fill yourself with knowledge and you become enlightened. And this enlightenment is ultimately going to make you like gods. And the result of this was that this pursuit of knowledge had actually driven them into a very idolatrous religion. In fact, if you look at chapter six, or verse 16 of this chapter... It says, now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. This, this whole city had been given over to idolatry. These were pantheists. They believed in many gods. And, and, and we're also told in verse number 21 of this chapter, it says, for the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And so they had this idea that basically the more that they knew, the more information they had, the better off they were spiritually. And so especially when it came to gods and religion, they wanted to hear as much as they could. And they sat around it all day. They did nothing but hear or tell some new thing. They were interested in finding out more information about a particular god or a particular spirit or a particular religion that they had not heard before because, again, in their mind, the more they know, the better off they are. The problem was, in this case, that's actually not the reality. The more that they knew, the farther they were from God. And so here are these Gnostics, and they've got all of these idols that are set up. And Paul said, in verse 22, as he begins to speak to them, uh, he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Uh, your religion has blinded you from the truth. And then he said, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions. In other words, as he's walking up Mars Hill, he was observing all of these altars and all of these, these places that they had dedicated to worshiping these different gods. He says, I beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription. 
to the unknown God. Now here's what's fascinating about that. These Greeks were Gnostics. Gnostic uh, comes from the Greek word gnosis, and it has to do with filling our mind with knowledge. This word unknown, it was inscribed, the unknown God, the word was, that they used was agnosis, which literally means the God that we do not know or the God that we cannot know. There are people today in the world that they believe that if there is a God, we couldn't really possibly know that, and even if, if there is a God, we could never know him personally. You know what they call themselves? Agnostics. These are people without the knowledge of God. And their belief is God is not known or cannot be known. If there's a God, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but we could never know him. That started all the way back here. An altar that was set up to the unknown God. Here was their idea. We've got all these gods that we worship. The sun god, the god of nature... Uh, these, these false gods, we know that in, in Ephesus, for instance, they worship the goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility. And, and by the way, this time of the year, uh, there, there is a particular god that is worshipped, and, and it's the god of Ishtar, and there's a lot to, uh, that we could say about that. But I'm just saying there are all kinds of false gods out there. They, every one of them that they knew of, they wanted to worship them. And how ironic is it that in the middle of all of this, there's one God that they're ignorantly worshiping. They're saying, if there's a God that somehow we missed, I guess we'll set up an altar for him. This happens to be the one true God. The one that they say, we, we couldn't know him. He's the unknown God. And Paul stands before them and he says, I, I am here today to proclaim to you the one true God, and he is the one that to you is unknown. And I want to just walk with you through what, what Paul said of this unknown God and about them and their relationship to him today. And I just want to say as lovingly as I can, each one of us here needs to examine ourselves and say, when it comes to this God, do I know him and do I worship him? I want to show you that, first of all, Paul points out their religion. He says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Now we think of superstition, you know, as being like someone who's afraid, you know, I'm not going to walk under a ladder, or I, I, you know, I get nervous if a black cat crosses in front of me. And I'm superstitious, you know, I, if, I, if I say something, i got to knock on wood so it doesn't come to pass or whatever. That's how we think of superstition. But actually, in this context, uh, superstitious just has to do with being religious, being spiritual. And, and he says, I, I, I perceive that you are too superstitious. You have too much religion. Now, it's funny because you might think that religion is a good thing. These people certainly did. I mean, after all, here we are today, Easter Sunday, and I guarantee that the church houses that in our area are a lot fuller today than they are on most Sundays. Because most people recognize and realize that there's something, you know, it's, it's a good thing to be in church, especially on a special holiday. We're going to take some time and we're going to go and worship God. And, and that's all well and fine, and it may even be admirable, but I want you to know that too much religion 
can actually become a stumbling block to truth. There's a lot of tradition out there. There, There's a lot of religious practice that does nothing to get us closer to God. In fact, we're warned in Colossians 2 in verse number 8. It says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Religion does us no good if it doesn't point us to the Lord Jesus. And and by the way, what we're doing here today, we have to be careful that this doesn't become ritualistic in what we do. We need to remember that every time we gather together to worship the Lord, we're not just going through the motions of a dead religion. We are meeting with the living God. That's why we're here today. And so he addresses their religion, and then he addresses their relationship Because he says in verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. And then he says, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. You are trying to worship a God that by your own admission you don't know him. You don't even know who he is. You don't know if he exists. You just kind of set up this altar to make sure you had all your bases covered. And with all of these many gods we worship, maybe there's one that we missed, and so we'll worship him too. But Paul says that you're worshiping this God in ignorance. You think that you're doing yourself a favor because you're trying to approach unto God, but you have not yet believed in him. Can I tell you something that the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, you cannot come to God without knowing him, without believing in him, and actually truly worship him. The only way that you can worship God from your heart today is if you know him, if you have a personal relationship with him. May I ask you, have you believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? Have you entered into a relationship with Him? Friend, this is far more than just a superstition or a religion. It is about a relationship with the living God. And then he deals with the fact that this God that he is declaring, that he is preaching, that this God is preeminent. I want you to see, he says in verse 24, God, not just a God, not just one of many gods, but he says God, capital G, God, that made the world and all things therein. Can I stop there for a moment and simply say to you today, this is, this is important that we understand. What's What is it? Why why is the God that we worship greater than the God that the Buddhists worship or that the Muslims worship? Why is it that the God that we worship is distinct and different? Because he is the God. The the God that we worship is the creator of heaven and earth. In fact, our, our Bible opens with the simple words, in the beginning... God. I mean, it starts with him. He he is preeminent. He is before all things. He is above all things. And he is worthy of our worship. And he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord. He is Lord of heaven and earth. 
dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. This God that we worship today, he is the one true God who rules over everything, over heaven and earth, and he is not going to be worshipped by our hands. We're not going to make a temple that is beautiful enough and wonderful enough for him to dwell in. We are simply the work of his hands. How could we as his creation possibly make something that is, that, that is, that, that is going to be something he desires? Do you know sometimes people approach God with this idea that, that I have done God a favor by honoring him? So, again, I'll give you an example. Many people will be in church this morning and will leave and go home and feel as though I've done God a service by being in his house. Some people will put some money in an offering plate and they'll say, well, boy, you know, I, I sacrificed and I gave to God. And in their mind, they're thinking that God is a charity case, you know, that he, that he needs something from us. The problem is we get it backwards. God doesn't need us. We need him. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. I need him and you need him. Now he gives us the privilege and the opportunity to serve him and to know him and to love him. And, and he works in our lives and I'm thankful for that. But we need to understand we, we don't bring God down to our level and try and worship him on our terms. We need to understand who he is and come to him on his terms because he is God. God said in Psalm 50, uh, something to the effect, he said, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. You can't give God anything he doesn't already have. God doesn't need us, he needs, we need him. He is preeminent. But notice he says in verse 26, and hath made, this, is, this God has made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth. By the way, if, if we could just get this figured out, there would be no more such thing as racism. It wouldn't exist. And I don't care who you are, I don't care what the color of your skin is, you can be racist, but you can't be racist if you believe this. God made of one blood all nations of men. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you came from. We are all the same. We're all created by the same God. He made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and at the time, determine the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Why? That they should seek the Lord. Did you know that from the very beginning... God's intention in creating man was that man would seek him. God created Adam, and Adam's responsibility, Adam's purpose in life was to seek God. And Adam had a son, and another son, and another son. And you know what their purpose in life was? To seek him. All those years ago. Oh, by the way, fast forward several generations, and you come to a man named Noah. You know what Noah's purpose in life was? To seek him. You fast forward more and more years and you find a man by the name of Abraham. You find Moses and David and, and you find the prophets. And then you come over to New Testament times and you find John the Baptist and 
and the apostles and Paul and, and, and we look at the first century and second, second, uh, second century Christians. We look at the Christian martyrs of the Middle Ages. We look at our, uh, our forefathers here in this nation and we fast forward all the way to today and my purpose is the exact same purpose of every other person that's ever lived. God created me to seek him and to know him. By the way, that's your purpose in life too. God didn't just make you to enjoy your life and to just go, go through life ignorant of him and separate from him. And No, he created you that you would seek him. And by the way, he's made a promise. It says that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him. Why? Though he be not far from every one of us. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your past is like. Maybe you have a, a very rich history in church and around the word of God. Uh, maybe you're new to all of these things. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the, the truth is this. God is not far from every one of us. God has made himself available. In fact, he promised in the book of Jeremiah, he said, ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I, I know that, 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 that God loves some people and, 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 and God wants some people to follow him and to know him, but you don't know me and you don't know where I come from and you don't know what I've done. I just want to tell you, God is still in the saving business and there is no one who is so far gone that God cannot save them. And he has said he's not far from every one of us and he's just invited you seek him. If you'll seek him, you'll find him. By the way, the, the message that he was giving, that Paul was giving to the Jews at the beginning of the chapter, those who were religious, those who were righteous by man's standards, it's the same message that he's giving to these people who know nothing of the true God. He says, seek him and you'll find him. Today, can I just admonish you and encourage you? The Lord is, is, is ready to receive you if you'll simply turn to him. Notice he also says, verse number 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto silver or stone, or gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. We can't, we can't, make God into our own image by making something to bow down to and worship him. But look at verse 30. He says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, God allowed this to happen for a time, but he said, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know, sometimes the gospel is presented in a way that Oh, if you just believe it, if you just, if you just believe, because the Bible talks about faith, and the Bible talks about belief, right? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But, but sometimes that's almost presented in this way, like, you know, I believe in Jesus just like I believe in some other historical figure. You know, I believe in George Washington. I believe he existed. Uh, you know, I believe that he did a lot of great things for our country, and and so on and so forth. Therefore, I, you know, I believe in George Washington. But the commandment to believe in Christ is not, it, it's not this idea of just intellectually in your mind accept the reality of something. 
It actually has to do with a decision, with a choice, and it's connected with this idea of repentance. And to repent means to turn. It literally means what he's saying here, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What Paul is saying is, you, you see that one altar there to the unknown God? You can know him, but you must turn to him from all these other gods. You, there, you have to make a, a conscious decision to say, this is the one that I want to know. And he's commanding you to repent. By the way, did you know that the gospel is not something that we just simply accept and, and, and in our minds believe, but it actually is we are commanded and called to obey the gospel? Did you know several times in the New Testament we read of obeying the gospel? In fact, let me read to you from the book of Romans chapter 10. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Romans 10, and I'll begin reading in verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Listen to this. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So he says, salvation is this simple. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a promise. However, when it speaks of the gospel, it says they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now we understand that obedience to the gospel doesn't mean I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this so that God will accept me. But, it, but it, it's this idea that I have made a conscious decision to believe the gospel. I have repented. I've turned to Christ and believed on him. This is what it means to obey the gospel. And it is something, by the way, that, that, that there's no choice here. There's no option. Th th this is not optional if you want to, if you decide to. No, no, no. He says God commanded all men everywhere to repent. Not everyone is going to be saved. In fact, the majority of people will not be saved. But sometimes we talk about the gospel in terms of like, God invites you to come. You know, if, if, you, want, if you want to come to Christ, you can come to Christ. But actually, it's important to understand, God commands you to come. He commands you. Now, you have a choice whether or not you will obey whether or not you will believe, whether or not you will receive, and the truth is the vast majority of people will not because they'd rather go on living in their ignorance like these Greeks. But God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You can know him today and God commands you to. And then he speaks of judgment. Verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Speaking of Christ. Friend, did you know that there is a, there is a day of judgment coming? 
Hebrews 9 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You will stand before God someday and give account for your life, for your sin. The Bible says, for every idle word. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Judgment is coming. And it's an appointed day. It says he's appointed a day. And we don't know when that appointment is. But it's appointed. It's appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. You have an appointment with death. It's already on the books. You don't know when that day is. I don't know when that day is. But there is coming a day. It might be today. You or I will pass from this life into eternity. And the question is, are you ready to stand in judgment? Now again, let me just remind you, we're, we don't have to pay for our sins because Christ has already paid for them. But the only way that we can stand with any confidence and assurance in judgment is to have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. May I lovingly command you today in the name of the Lord to repent and turn to him so that you may be ready when you stand before God in judgment. Then he says at the end of the verse, after this speaking of this judgment, he says, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. Confidence. How can we know? Oh, the Greeks, we think we're going to be better off by knowing. But there's one God we don't know. He says, no, no, you can know. He's given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Folks, do you know what really separates biblical salvation from every other religion in the world? It is the resurrection from the dead. There are thousands, thousands of religions in the world today, but only one has ever defeated the, 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 the victory and the strength of sin, which is death. Only one, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that tomb is still empty, folks. He's still alive. And he sits on the right hand of the throne of the Father. And this resurrection from the dead is the absolute proof of every... Listen, this book, apart from the resurrection of Christ, would be just another book. But it's not. He's alive. And by the way, we're told that not only are there eyewitnesses to his resurrection, but at one point, in just one instance, there were over 500 eyewitnesses to his resurrection. I mean, the proof of the resurrection of Christ is, is absolutely overwhelming. And all of the other gods, all of the other idols, all of the other altars that were there in that place paled in comparison to the one, to the unknown God, because the God that they did not know was the only God who was alive. And he said, this is how we know. This is how we know. But look at verse 32, if you would. It says, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you remember Greek mythology when you were in high school or college, maybe? Some of you, the stories of some of these, these guys, the Hercules and the Zeus, and these, these were actual 
gods that were worshipped by, by the Greeks. These were probably some of the ones who were represented there on Mars Hill being worshipped. And yet when they heard of the resurrection of Christ, they mocked. Isn't it funny how people will believe all kinds of things. People will believe all kinds of lies. But they want to blind, their eyes are blinded to the truth. They want to close their eyes to the truth. Here you have people that when they consider the reality and the truth of Scripture, their response is to mock and to criticize. To them, this was preposterous, that a man could rise from the dead. Folks, there are many scoffers and scorners in this world who don't want to believe the truth. And the Bible says that they're willingly ignorant. In other words, it's their choice. It's not that these things are so far-fetched that they could never be believed by an intellectual mind. It's just the fact that they don't want to believe. They have not obeyed the gospel. There are some who will mock. But sadly, notice this, it says that some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Can I tell you something that I believe is incredibly sad? There are people out there, not only that that deny the truth of God and, and, and Christ and the word of God. They, those, those exist. But even more sad than that are the people who will come and sit in a church like this one where the Bible is being opened and preached day after day, week after week, year after year. They hear the truth, they hear the truth, they hear the truth. But rather than responding, they don't reject it outright, but they say, I'll hear that again. I'm willing to come back and listen. I'm not against God. I'm not against his word. I'm not against what you're saying. I'm just not ready to make that commitment. I'm not ready to be all in. I'm not ready to give up these other idols that I worship. We'll hear the again of this matter. Can I just encourage you, please, don't be like that. That day that's appointed is coming, and you don't know when it is. And you may not have another opportunity to hear the truth. Then the third response, it says, Howbeit, verse 34, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. And it even gives us two names, Dionysus and Damaris, and others. Some mocked, some delayed, but some believed. Some received. Some came to know the unknown God. Now, I, I would like to know which one you will be. Have you come to meet the Lord? Have, have, you, have you turned from yourself and your sin and your idols to the living and true God? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received his gift of eternal life? Have you entered into a personal relationship with him or do you ignorantly worship him today? He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you've not received him, then may I just implore you, don't delay. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today we sang, the choir sang some songs, and we sang of the resurrection. But before we did, we sang about the cross, that Christ was crucified. We heard the scriptures read. 
First of all, the account of the crucifixion that he was arrested and mocked and beaten and crucified and there he died. He gave up the ghost. He willingly laid down his life. The next we heard of the account particularly of the thief who was hanging next to Jesus on the cross. And he looked at him and said these simple words, Remember me when thou goest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today. By the way, that man never got off the cross and got baptized. That man never went and paid a tithe. That man never became religious. That man simply looked at the Lord Jesus, saw that he was dying not for his own sins, but for, the, for, for his sins, for the sins of the thief that was hanging next to him, and yours and mine. And he, he simply looked at him and asked for salvation. Remember me. Do you know that it, it really is that simple to look to Christ? Father, I, I deserve to die and go to hell. I deserve that because of my sins. But I'm looking to Christ and I'm asking on His behalf, would you save me? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then we read of His resurrection. We read of the fact that that tomb is empty. And Mary Magdalene experienced it personally. I, I love that as as she was fretting over the fact that she couldn't find the body, she identified Jesus not just as the Lord, but she says, they've taken away my Lord. Can I ask you, today you may identify Jesus as the Lord, but is he your Lord? Do you know him? Will you receive him today? It's one thing to have knowledge of him. But knowledge can sometimes just get in the way of a personal relationship with God. Will you turn to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, and be saved?